Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. It's a shorter news-related episode this week, as some of you may have seen the release last week of the EPA's Water Quality Report, which provides an update on the water quality of Ireland's rivers, lakes, estuaries, coastal and groundwaters for 2022. The main headline from it was the fact that there's been no improvement in water quality of rivers or lakes, with nitrogen levels increasing in rivers overall. And to find out more, we spoke to Mary Gurry, Program Manager with the EPA, who gave us more details from the report. Yeah, so the EPA, we publish an annual water quality report and every three years we do a full assessment of water quality and then in the in-between years uh, we do what we call an indicators report and it gives a sense of, you know, how are things changing, if at all. So we published our latest indicators reports last year, um, or last week even, and um, I suppose the, the key finding really is that we aren't seeing any significant improvement in water quality um, both in the biology, for example, of our rivers and lakes, and that uh, nutrient levels, which is nitrogen and phosphorus, which everyone will know are, are fertilizers, which can come from both agriculture, wastewater, forestry, they are too high in many of our rivers, lakes, and estuaries, um, and are impacting on the biology and, and the overall water quality. Do we have any idea in terms of like, has it been steadily increasing over the last few years? Has it, has it spiked, held its own? Like what kind of graph are we seeing? Like, Yeah, so what we look at is um, what our objectives are to hit high and good, uh, what's called ecological status. And that's an overall picture of water quality, which looks at the biology, the water quality, chemicals and the physical habitat of the whole ecosystem. And you're aiming for higher good status for that. And at the moment, about only 54% of all our surface water bodies of the rivers, lakes and estuaries have satisfactory conditions we are meeting that. So that's just over half, which means half of them aren't. What we've seen is kind of from the early 2000s, water quality actually improved. We were starting to see improvements, although it's kind of a tale of two stories. We're losing our highest quality water bodies, which has been happening um, over an extended period, but we're also improving the worst of them, kind of through investment in wastewater and through um, improvements in agriculture. And that kind of, we got, made good progress till about 2012 or so, and then we've since then had started to see decline. So until our report last year, we were reporting that water quality has in fact been declining and that we were going in the wrong direction altogether from, from where we wanted to be. What we've seen in this latest report is probably a stabilisation um, where we aren't seeing the improvements that we really need to see to, to move the dial and to um, get that good quality back. But we haven't really seen any further deterioration, so which is good to see. You know, and it is a positive that we at least seem to have halted the decline. Yeah, it's a, yeah. I look at it that way, and it's been a glass half full and a glass half empty, Mary. But to be honest, yeah, I suppose, and coming from our point of view, we just love to see an improvement happening. But yeah, just, absolutely. I was just looking just over, like I was just reading a report of it. Could you actually, like the the forty four odd percent that were unsatisfactory? Could you just give us? Uh, an estimation what makes a water unsatisfactory can, can you say it off the top of your head or do you have to go into more scientific data to to say it or, or are there certain let's say parameters that you could say well that would deem it unsatisfactory 
Yeah, we're looking at two things, uh, two main things. We're looking at the biology, so that's the the plants, the insects, the invertebrates, um, and the uh, when we do our full assessment and the habitat conditions. So, and then we also look at things like the nutrients and levels of nitrogen, phosphorus, the oxygen, which is obviously very important for for the life, um, and the habitat. So we look at all the indicators, and if any of them aren't at higher good quality, it brings down the overall assessment. So anything that's not satisfactory is failing for some reason, whether it's the invertebrates or whether it's the nutrient levels or the habitat conditions. So any of them can pull down the overall assessment. Is there a geographical bias in this when you'd look at the map of Ireland? If you look overall at, at ecological status, it's actually quite dispersed across the country. We have water, good, high, good and high water quality everywhere yeah. and moderate and, and worse also there but different things are causing that so in the southeast south and southeast we have a specific problem with nitrogen levels that are too high and that's really associated with agriculture and with uh, intensive farming in those areas with pre-draining soils the nitrogen leaches down through it gets into the groundwater into the rivers and into the estuaries and really it causes that overgrowth of algae that you see washed up on the on the estuaries and causes a problem Phosphorus is a little bit more widespread. Phosphorus can come from both agriculture and from wastewater. So that's the sewage and septic tanks and municipal wastewater treatment plants. Um, about 50-50 is the, the input. Um, but you see phosphorus more so on, uh, in terms of agriculture on poorly draining soil. So again, we have a map in the report showing the two areas. Other problems then that can occur are things like where drainage and channelization change the habitat of the water body. So people are familiar with the, the arterial drainage schemes. So that can you know, impact on the habitat and can cause failures in other areas. So there's a whole mix of problems. And then you can have, you know, spot, you know, I suppose, uh, particular issues, say, with wastewater treatment plants. So we know we have about over 200 wastewater treatment plants in towns and villages dispersed around the country where the, the, the discharge from those plants is, is a problem and is, is damaging the water quality. Um, Mary, the decline, you said it was kind of from 2012, you know, and we've kind of halted that decline. You said, is it as a result of all of those factors that you've just mentioned? Um, or was there a single bigger factor that kind of led to that decline over from 2012 on? Yeah, there's a range of pressures um, which do impact on water quality. The biggest one is agriculture. Um, next is, in fact, this what we call hydromorphology, which are these physical changes like drainage and channelization and barriers, which are a big issue for fish, obviously, if they can't get, get across the barrier, and then forestry and actually wastewater is fourth. And that, that mix has kind of is changing over time. So what we saw with our last assessment is agriculture has gotten worse. There are more water bodies impacted by agriculture in recent years, and there are fewer impacted by wastewater because there's a lot of investment happening. In wastewater, that's slowly bringing down the numbers that are being impacted by, by that. Um, but we have seen a deterioration in, in terms of agriculture and largely due to the intensification of agriculture, you know, since that time period, very successfully economically, but uh, unfortunately at, at, at the cost to the environment and to our water quality. Would that be a worry, Mary? Um, we've had George McGrath, he's a um, lifelong angler on the River Shore, and he'd be very active on the River Shore, kind of up around Holy Cross area. And he was on our show um, a couple of months ago decrying, you know, this what he's seeing in terms of what's going in, in terms of nitrogens and phosphorus. And, you know, he was clearly pointing the finger of blame at wastewater treatment and also farming. 
we've seen, you mentioned the intensification of farming. It's not going to go away, you know, the intensification because we've seen the economic benefits. Now, in fairness, I know farming and Chagish and farmers are, and the, you know, government are trying to improve in terms of kind of uh, the environmental impact of farming. But would you worry about that, that in the foreseeable future is essentially that as farming continues to develop, that we're not going to see um, water quality likewise be as important within the bigger picture? Um, I think, I mean, ultimately, it's a question for the policymakers in terms of agriculture policy to address the issues. I, I, and I think there is a huge amount of awareness now of the environmental challenges associated with agriculture, um, you know, in terms of water quality, climate, biodiversity. So I know sometimes I'm sure for, for the farmers, it feels like people are coming at them at all angles. But I think there is a recognition that things need to change what that will look like and how this, what the solutions are are really for the agricultural sector. Um, there, there is a lot happening. Well, there's, there's the nitrates action plan, which is the kind of regulations for farmers which they have to meet. And we would like to see, you know, fuller implementation of that, which is both an awareness and an enforcement side. And there is going to be an increase in agricultural inspections. And you know, hopefully that will improve compliance and we'll deal with some of the problems there's also uh, the ASAP program, which is the, led by Chagas, but it's a, a multi-agency program which works with the local authorities water program. And that's giving you know advice to farmers about the, the specific problems where there is a water quality issue what in an area, what might be contributing to that on their farm, what measures do they need to take. Now, that's a voluntary program, but and again, probably needs to be scaled up you know, to really start delivering results. What was the name of that program, Mary? Sorry. The, the acronym is ASAP, A-S-S-A-P. So it's the Agricultural Sustainability Support and Advice Programme. Yeah, so right. the key maker, the, the kind of policy framework for water quality is called the River Basin Management Plan and sets out all the actions that are to be taken. So it was a key measure under the last plan um, to build up the local parishes water programme and to have the ASAP programme working with them. So the EPA does the monitoring at national level and we say, you know, these, these are the water bodies that are at risk. They're not meeting the objective or they're very, you know, they're impacted. Um, and LAWPRO then are working in priority areas, um, which will be expanding now over time. And they go in, they do stream work, field assessments. They really pin down where is the problem? Is it a tributary? You know, where is the issue really happening? What might it be? And if it's agriculture, then they refer it to ASAP and ASAP go into the farms then in those areas and talk to the farmers and engage with them. So, that's happening, but we're and we're seeing some improvements in those areas where LAWPRO and ASAP are working a higher rate of improvement than we're seeing elsewhere. But we still it's early days and COVID kind of impacted on it, you know, at the start. So we really need to see, you know, will that model work? And I think the enforcement is needed alongside with, you know, more inspections and really try to raise the overall bar for compliance as well. And you know, I think there's a lot of farmers you know trying to do the right thing but maybe you know need, need more support and advice on, on how to go about doing that uh, you mentioned law pro we had ken whelan on um as part of that episode with george mcgrath and it was actually ken Whelan mentioned law pro and he was saying because we were saying it was what can anglers do you know just to, to be proactive about it you know it's well and good complaining and giving about about whatever body you know oh, they're not doing whatever but in terms of actually doing something, you might just remind us what anglers can actually do is if they see a problem or they think there's some kind of issue that needs to be reported in terms of river quality or lake yeah. quality. So, yeah, there's uh, well two things. One, if you see a problem and see pollution is to contact. So 
There's a, a National Environmental Complaints Line, so that's 1800-365-123, so you can ring that, it's man 24 hours 7. There's also an app called the See It, Say It app, and it goes into the same um, the same channel, so it goes into this complaint centre and that gets you know distributed out then, whether it's an EPA or local authority or whoever needs to respond. Um, and I know Inland Fisheries Ireland also have a, a complaints line if people see pollution or see invasive species or illegal fishing. So the useful frangers have, have those apps there and numbers on the phone so that if they see something, you know, they can report it and, and can get an early investigation and response. And the other option then is just to get involved. So there are a lot of catchment and a lot of anglers are involved in already, I know, but um, there's a lot of community groups, catchment groups, rivers trusts, different scales of organisations, which uh, local, the Local Authority Waters Programme, just to explain the acronym, um, and they have a lot of the community development officers, the network of them, and they're really trying to work with communities, because ultimately the solution really will be communities working together with farmers, stakeholders, landowners, all working to try and, and protect and restore our water quality. So there's lots of good work happening. So it's kind of disappointing that we're not seeing the improvements coming through. We're seeing improvements in some areas and declines in others. And we just need to stop the declines and, and really get, get more improvements and we'll start to hopefully turn the dial on. Yeah, because I think a lot of people weren't aware of law pro maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think was, it's probably I wasn't aware of it at the time. Yeah, neither of us had heard when- when Ken said it to me, I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> that was my first time of hearing us. Yeah. Yeah. So there's obviously an awareness issue, I think, for anglers to kind of know, look, this is the structures that, and Ken, in fairness, took us through, these are the structures that are in place. Um, and I think, as well, you're right, is A, the citizen science, so the anglers that are on the ground that can actually, you know, talk about it, but also then to come together, I think, as communities and to work with the farmers, to work with, you know, the, the, the local catchment areas as well, because it, it has to be a collective um, a solution to this. But just, um, Mary, remind us, like, the consequences of this, if this situation is allowed to continue, um, from an environmental point of view, you might just give us that kind of overview. But then I think, secondly, there's an actual political and economic hit here in terms of the derogation from Europe. Like, there's, there's far-reaching consequences from this, isn't there? Maybe just take us through the kind of environmental aspects of it if, if we don't actually work together on this. Yeah, well, I suppose we'd say clean like water is life. Clean water is essential, you know, for our health and well-being. It's our our drinking water supply. Our rivers and lakes provide, and our groundwaters provide all our drinking water. Now, it does get treated, but obviously, the you know the cleaner it is, the lower risk it is, and the less treatment is required. Essential for our wildlife, for our, our fish, and our whole range of biodiversity that depend on water. And it's essential for the economy. You know, there's lots of agriculture included depend on clean water to feed their animals, grow their crops, you know, their own drinking water and and then industries like shellfish, which are dependent on, you know, clean water and there's, you know, they are at risk in these estuaries that are maybe becoming uh, polluted. Things like bathing water or beaches, uh, tourism, recreation, you know, all depend on clean water and they have a good reputation. I know angling is a really important tourism industry, you know, so the risk is, you know, that, we, that, that, that that's at risk, you know, if we don't protect and improve our water. And we know even from the COVID and the pandemic that people did reconnect with their local water bodies, whether it was swimming or fishing or just walking, you know, by a river or lake. And, you know, that it's really important for our well-being and our, our mental health, you know, that there's scientific evidence to show that. So I think it's really nobody wants to be looking into a murky old algae-infused lake, really, you know. It's not what we want to see, and it's you know, so it's not good for anything. 
Well, uh, and even actually just on that, Mary, just when you mentioned there, like Tom, do you remember we had, uh, we were speaking to Jackie Mahan, he's a guide on Loch Arrow. And he was, he also, he was mentioning Loch Melvin, the water quality he was saying on Loch Melvin. And he had, and just, he had a, an American um, visiting angler and he, the, the American was shocked at the quality of the water. He said on Melvin, what he was seeing, mm-hmm. we've seen the reports of the dogs, Tom, I think it was at nine, nine dogs dying from the, the stagnant water. It's when you start to hear these stories and you're seeing this and it's suddenly become a, whoa, you know, I think people are nearly getting shocked now at what they're hearing and seeing like that. We need to see more action being taken, really. Yeah, we had a we had a water conference last week, and uh, Evie Nihulabong spoke at it, who had chaired the biodiversity climate citizens assembly on biodiversity loss, and she said actually the water policy was one piece that really resonated when when the citizens heard about you know the, you know the condition our water policy is in and some of the risks to it. She said that really kind of resonated with people. Cause it, I suppose we can all, water and our local rivers and, and lakes have a, a connection to us in terms of heritage and culture and everything, you know, so uh, it is really important. Um, yeah, in terms of the economic, you mentioned the derogation, so that, that's the derogation of the nitrates directive, which Ireland has because of our, our grass-fed system. But yeah, there are some concerns at, at commission level, you know, about the trends and, and the direction the water quality is going, you know, so that that is a risk, you know, to, to that sector, um, you know, if they were to lose it. And um, so that's, again, you know, economic consequence to to it. And also, you know, if fertilizer is being used and it doesn't need to be used, that's just a cost for farmers if it's been applied. And uh, there is a lot of work going on in terms of messaging about the right time to use, you know, to apply slurry and, Mix forwards, you know, there's there's a lot of advice happening in terms of trying to to reduce this, the nitrates. And I would I would actually say as well the kind of silver lining in the cloud maybe with the huge um, rise in fertilizer costs has been that farmers have been had to kind of find go back to the old ways nearly and find you know other kind of more economic more environmental uh, ways of doing it. So hopefully that there's good good news happening in that sense. And I, I also get the sense though, like you were saying, at commission level. If the government knows we're coming under pressure from that nitrates derogation commission level, you kind of get the sense of that will suddenly become the hammer that will kind of force, you know, major macro kind of political strategic action to actually be kind of go right. Enough is enough. And maybe hopefully then there also will be kind of good news in that, like you'd hope from that, you know, but we'll wait and see. I suppose that's all kind of ifs, buts and maybes. Just back because we sort of went on to more agriculture there, but on wastewater treatment, just wondering, um, are there many cases, Mary, where the improvement of wastewater has brought a body of water, let's say from poor back into good? Do you have many examples of those? If so, then let's say of some of the 44% that are in poor now that can be attributed to wastewater, could you foresee them, those waters been remedied by proper wastewater management? Yeah, so I can tell you there's about 200 plus or minus uh, water bodies that have been impacted by wastewater. So we know they need to, those treatment plants will need to be upgraded or improved uh, in order to give to, to result in an improvement in water quality. Now, in some cases, the wastewater is the only issue, in which case if you fix the wastewater treatment plant, you know, or upgrade it, you should see, you know, fairly speedy recovery. The chemistry tends to recover fairly quickly and then the biology follows. So the, you know, the, the, the more sensitive species come back in and, you know, you get a much better functioning uh, ecosystem. So we know there's about 200 of those out there that have to be improved. It will probably take, 
at least two decades to, to get there at the current rate, which is slower than we'd all like to see. But that's sort of a legacy of underinvestment, underinvestment for a long time. And um, what we are seeing, we are already seeing the improvements that when the, the treatment plants go in. I'm trying to think of an example. Certainly, yeah, if the treatment plant gets upgraded and you know it's discharging properly, properly, properly uh, treated wastewater, then the water quality does improve, and we have examples of that. I know the numbers. From we did an assessment from the 2015 data to 2018 data, you know, we definitely saw a drop in the number of water bodies that were being impacted. And we expect that to continue, you know, that trajectory to continue. Well, Mary, thanks a million um, for your time. I think it's been really interesting in terms of it's great to see in terms of kind of when the report comes out in terms of the media coverage and attention it gets. It helps highlight these issues that, you know, your report does do. Uh, I do hope in terms of kind of the, the anglers, the fly anglers listening to this, they'll probably be aware of it just to get a bit more detail. And I'd recommend them going onto the EPA website, you know, having a read of it as well, just to kind of familiarize themselves. And I think it comes back to, like you said, you know, citizen science reporting it and working as a collective. But Mary, thanks a million for your time. Very welcome. Thanks very much. Our thanks to Mary Gurry for joining us on the show. And don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus, you can keep up to date on ironlonthefly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.